I'm so happy for you. Please be seated. And it's, uh, it's so good to be here. The last time I was at Calvary was when Calvary was in Harlem. So it's quite a while ago. And was visiting over there. And, and as, as uh, Apostle Victor was saying, we've been working together with Christ's Covenant Coalition since about the year 2000. 1999 it was formed and we got involved in that. I began a network of ministers in New Jersey in 2000, Metro Apostolic Network. And that has grown. We're in Atlanta, Georgia now. We're in Pakistan. We're in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. And in some other places in Brooklyn also. And God is moving and doing things there. In that ministry, we are reaching out to ministers to bring them together. That's one of the things that we do with Christ Covenant Coalition is bring ministers together for common goals and common purpose. And it's tremendous. Um, you, if you understand that this man of God and his wife have done so much here in such a short amount of time where when they left Harlem, when the fire came, the ministry was flourishing. There was so much going on. And then coming here with a handful and then building and doing the work that you're doing here. Can you imagine what he would be able to do if he no longer had to hold a five-day-a-week job? What would happen? How much more would he pour into you, your children, your future? I want to encourage you. I can see that your givers are ready. I feel it in my heart. You couldn't do what you've done here without being a giving church. But I want to encourage you to begin to start to pray about putting aside some money every month for a fund. If everybody put aside a dollar every couple of days, 50 cents. Can you imagine 50 cents a day? A cup, not even a, you can't get a cup of coffee for less than a buck and a half. Put a, put a cup of coffee aside five times a week. You'll have about seven fifty, eight dollars something like that. Can you imagine if 20, 30, 40 people did that for a year and could present to him at Christmas time and say, we want to give you this because we want you out of that job and we want you in this job. And begin to sow towards the future. Can you imagine what would happen? First off, he'd faint. Because he knows the finances. He knows what you're going through. He knows your struggles. He knows what you're doing. I had a lady one day, she came to me and she... And she uh, she was crying, and she said, Bishop, I, I, I can't tithe. And she came to my church from Staten Island. She had uh, been in a church over there that had, had problems, and it had shut down. And her pastor said, go to Bishop Frank Dupre's church, because he knew my father very well. And so he said, I know the father. I can tell what the son is like. I've only met him a little bit, but go there. So she came, and after being there for a little while, she cried and said to me, I can't tithe. My finances are so bad. I'm in such a mess. So I said, well, what can you do? I said, could you give half of a tithe? Could you give $5? What can you do? And she said, I, I could do half a tithe. I said, well, let's just do half a tithe and just do it faithfully. Several months later, I was going to Brazil to <laughs> preach down in Rio. And she came up to me and she presented me with a check. And she said, Bishop, this is for you. You're an apostle. I'm going to help send you into Brazil. I was going to go commission an apostle and consecrate a bishop there. I actually ended up doing two bishops and the apostle. 
And she gave me a check, and I looked. It was $1,000. I said, Alberta, I said, I can't take this. You, you need the money. You can't do this. She said, oh, no. She said, I began to give half my tithe faithfully Amen. with a cheerful heart. She said, God has turned my finances around. In the last few months, everything has come together. She said, I'm back on track, and I can tithe now, and I can give this extra. Because I'm telling you, it is so true. It is so true. She is one of the foundational givers in our church now. She's not even able to come to church every Sunday. She hasn't been here for, for a while because of her health and other situations. But she gives every week faithfully. You know how? On the Internet. She gives every week faithfully her tithe into the church and supports my ministry on the outside of that also. So I want to encourage you to be givers. Generous givers, givers who, who, who you know, I, I don't want to be these people that take money and throw it on the owner and say, money come to me. I, I don't go for that. I don't care if you say it in English or Spanish. I don't go for that. I go for reality. Let's be real. Amen? Let's get rid of the monkey business. Let's get rid of the manipulation. And that's why this is a good house to be in because the manipulation's gone. It's gone. It's not here. Now, before I get too far, I want to just share with you a couple of books that I've got. Uh, you may have somebody who's not saved that you're trying to reach Christ in their life. This would be a good book for them, Metamorphosis. It's a short story. And it's a story about a man who has an encounter that gets him to go from natural, opening the door of the spiritual. If you could do that, if somebody could do that with your loved ones, then you could bring them to Christ. Once they get, once they get a hunger for the supernatural, you can get that. And then I have another book that's here right now. It's called The Power of the Lord's Prayer 2. This is a, 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 an exposition. This is a Bible teaching on the Lord's Prayer, verse by verse, taking it apart. Hallowed be thy name. And I mentioned the names of God and what they mean and how we worship. This is not something that you read. This is a book you pray as you read it. Some of, you don't know, some of you don't know how to pray or you don't know how to pray for a while. You get, you get bored praying. You start praying and you fall asleep. You, get, you start praying and then you start doing the dishes and you start praying and doing other things. And, and this will help you get focused and teach you. And I have another, another book. I didn't bring it up here, but it's in, the, uh, it's in the fellowship room. It's called I Will Build My Church. This is a must for Christians to have, to understand how Jesus is building his church, taking us from being reeds turning us into stones, and then making us into pillars to build the house of God. It's all about character. So that's a book that will really be a blessing to you. I have one copy of this book here, which is not for sale. Uh, we sold out recently on this one. It's called Spiritual Warfare. You can buy this on Amazon. This is on Amazon. All these books are available on Amazon.com, in Kindle or in paperback. You can get them all. And I don't have any for sale. We sold out. I just ordered some more. But I want to encourage you to, uh, to get them. If you're, in, if you're interested in understanding the battle, that's the subtitle, Spiritual Warfare, Understanding the Battle. If you want to understand what's going on in that spiritual world and how you can begin to do a battle in there without getting beat up. See, too many people start to do spiritual warfare, but they get beat up because they're not prepared. They're not trained. This will help you understand the battle. Amen? So I want to just encourage you to uh, possibly pick them up. Check my website out, frankdupray.com. Follow me on Facebook. Become a friend. Hit me up with that. Let me know. I got teachings on there all the time. I do drive-by messages. See, I'm, I'm like the original drive-by shooter. Uh, everybody's doing drive-bys nowadays, you know? But it's good. Praise God. They're taking advantage of a good thing. So I do drive-by messages, short messages that you can watch on Facebook and you can share them with other people. And it just gives them a little bit of a kernel, a seed, if you would, a seed of truth. That'll be a blessing. So I want to encourage you to do that also. Now, I brought with me 
uh, two leaders in my church, two ministers from our church, Miguel and Yesdell. They're going to come up and they want to say hello. I want to introduce you to them. Would you give them a hand as they come forward? They are a son and a daughter to me, and uh, I'm, I'm so proud of them, what God has done in their lives. When they first came to my church, about 12 years ago or so, one more, uh, they kept wondering, when am I going to give them ministry to do? Because they had so much to do. And I kept praying, Lord, help them stick around long enough to recognize it's not about what they think they've got. I see something you want to do in their life. Give them patience. And it took a while. And then they finally broke through that. And God did some things in their life. So I want to encourage them just to say hello. When I pray for you afterwards, they're going to come with me and pray. You saw Miguel dancing. Amen. Wasn't that good? Hallelujah. Praise God. And they're they're both prophetic. They have prophetic giftings. Miguel's an evangelist also. And so we're going to turn them loose with prayer later on at the end of service. I wanted them to say hello so you'll know who's praying for you and who's touching your life. They also brought their son, Noel, and their their nephew, Eric. And uh, so we want to introduce family members they have in the Bronx to Calvary. So that's why they're here also. Because their family members can't come to our church in, in, uh, in New Jersey all the time. But they can send them someplace good. So we want to seed the church and bring others here also. Amen? So, give it her first. All right. Go ahead. Praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of God this morning. Hallelujah. It is good to be in a house where the presence of God is felt, is present. It, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm really excited. Thank you, Bishop, for, uh, by the way, I am Puerto Rican, so he, he, he has a little crew, <laughs> Puerto Rican crew uh, going with him. But, you know, it is a pleasure to be here. We're really excited just from, from even an hour of just being here in your fellowship, Apostle, and in your presence in, in, in the room. It is a transformational place. It is a place of change. You, are, you guys are blessed. You are blessed. This is a place of change. This is, uh, you know, I just felt the Lord uh, showing me a deep well. And, and, and the deeper the well, the fresher the water. There's nutrients. There's good things here. And you know what? And that wall is coming down. In the day. Amen. So we're excited to be here. And I know that. Bishop, it, when he opens his mouth, he will give you a seed, but it's a transformational seed, so you have to be ready to receive it. So prepare your hearts and your spirits to, to receive today. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. So you, in your heart, did you know that a man can flag? Listen. My pride will not make me stumble. So I'm going to kick pride out the way. It doesn't abide in me anymore. Um, the reason why I can flag... I kicked it out of him. Yes, he did. Uh, it's because the anointing on my wife, she is the dance minister. She flags. And there was a, a mantle uh, placed upon her before the sister went home to be with the Lord. Uh, and I was able to, uh, you know, pick up and, and dance. And this morning, I told my wife, "Hun, I got to bring my shofar today because there's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough. And I, and I said, well, you know, can you take the flags? The, there's something about the gold flags. Can you dance? 
oh, well, you know, I, I can. I'm, and I'm like, oh, boy. So the Lord set me up. I was going to do it right before everybody ran up. But the Lord says, hold on. The last, I save it for the first. Okay? So, so um, my name is Miguel Echevarria. Okay? I'm a minister. I'm an evangelist. Uh, I have uh, I've been saved for about 17 years. Um, it's, it was a very unique way uh, that I got saved. Like, you know, it was like a Samuel experience. Um, I preached in the Dominican Republic. Uh, you know, I got really hurt in the church, the spirit of religion. Uh, and I asked for a spiritual father. My father went to be home with the Lord. And I asked for a spiritual father. And I don't even know why I was saying that. But my wife came to Living Water Church, looked it up. Frank Dupre popped up. Uh, 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 actually, he wasn't the one preaching. It was his father. Uh, my wife came, and uh, he prophesied it. He brought a prophetic word. It resonated with my wife and her spirit. She got there. I got there. We've been serving ever since. Amen. And the greatest thing is that when, when he, he knew my whole life story of what I went through in the church as a baby Christian, and I was like, that is amazing. Because I was, I was under a prophetic mantle. My pastor who went home to be with the Lord was a prophet. He ministered with R.W. R. Shambach. He was an interpreter for, uh, for the Spanish church. And uh, he, he released me. And thank God I'm, I'm with, with Bishop. He's my spiritual father. I'm really blessed. Um, by the way, I'm Dominican. I'm Dominican. How do you bring these two together? Yeah, right. So you're in a very, very, very good place today. Awesome man of God. Awesome man of God. He's open to the spirit of God. I want to tell you something. A general always goes to the forefront of the battle. That's what the apostle do. The apostle, when he goes forward, he's willing to lay, lay down his life first, but he has his army behind him. And as he was talking up there, and he's saying about this conference, uh, only four people showed up, and please don't embarrass me. Don't ever let your general go ahead without his troops. So be troops, you know, and follow the general. Amen? Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Miguel? Most times when I'm going to preach, I leave my keys and my wallet and everything else. I got my keys in my pocket because somebody parked my car kindly and gave me my keys back. And I believe this signifies I have a message today that's going to help you have a key for your future. It's going to bring you a key to your future. And we need... We need what you have here in all the churches. We need reality. We don't need religion. We need reality. The reality of Jesus' love for us. The reality of, 
of God touching our lives and ministering to us. Apostle Victor was sharing. I had a testimony. 1969, I was on a three-day cocaine high. I was a dealer, basically, dealing whatever, dropped out of college. Uh, people talk about Woodstock. I was at Woodstock. And I grew up in the 60s, and Apostle's going to turn 60 soon, so I'm going to welcome him to the 60s, but I grew up in the 60s. And God touched my life, turned me around. I was a rock and roll singer. I had the best band out in my area in Long Island. We were growing and, and growing, and it, things happened. We all got busted, so the band broke up. I was just trying to put a band back together because that was my goal, have the best band and then grow and, and uh, make records and whatnot. And I was coming home after being on a date in Brooklyn. And on the way home, I got lost. Being, I grew up in Long Island, and so I didn't know Brooklyn. And I made a wrong turn. I ended up in some neighborhoods. I ended up with some areas I didn't know where I was. And I was driving, and I, have a, I had a, back then I had an FM tuner in my car uh, so I could get FM radio at night and listen to that. I couldn't get nothing. Nothing would come in. On the AM radio, I heard all these crazy preachers. I didn't know what they were doing, and I couldn't get anything on the radio. So I'm just driving. And I'm like, oh, God, I got to go home. I haven't slept in three days. I got to go to work tomorrow morning. My cousin's my boss. He's going to beat me up if I come in dragging and I, and I don't work hard. And with that, I saw uh, Francis Lewis Boulevard. I said, oh, I know that. If I make a right or a left, it don't matter. I'll either hit the expressway or the parkway. So I turned and I went and I ended up going and hitting the parkway. And just before I got to the parkway, to the Bell Parkway, I had a vision. And I saw heaven. I saw in the heavens, I saw the kingdom of God like a castle in the sky. And I saw the earth like a ball in space because the, the, the astronauts had just landed on the moon. And they took the pictures of the earth from space. And I saw the earth like that ball. Of, and I saw a bridge between the two. And I knew the bridge was Jesus. I just knew it. And I heard a voice that said to me, you've been lost. And I said, yeah, but thank God I found my way home. And the voice said to me, you're lost spiritually. And if you died tonight, you'd go to hell. And I just said, oh God, Jesus, I don't want to die and go to hell. Save me. I didn't know Jesus saves. I never heard that Jesus saves. I never heard the gospel that way. I'd gone to Catholic church as a kid. I quit when I was 16. And I, I just stopped going. And God touched my life so deeply on that night. Three days later, I saw Billy Graham on TV for the first time in my life. And he preached about how God wants to get into your life and have you make a decision to follow him. And God began to speak to me through that man and started to change my life. So I started to go to church. I started to go to Mass every day. I started to pray. I got involved in a very, very religious aspect. I prayed. My average prayer day was three to four hours a day. Prayed in the morning, prayed in the afternoon. I, used to, I worked in a store. I was a manager in a store. I used to go to a church in the afternoon at lunchtime and go pray. Instead of eating, I'd pray. And then I'd go back. And I'd go home and I'd pray. And then I'd eat. Then I'd go and pray again. I stopped watching TV. I didn't do anything like that. I left. I, I had a record collection stacked up to the ceiling. I gave them all away. I sold them, got rid of them. I, I sold my car because I had a radio in it. I wanted to get a car without a radio so I wouldn't be distracted because music was my God. So I had to make changes in my life. I had to make radical changes. You don't have to make the same ones I made. You've got to make your changes. And then as the years went by, the religion, the closer I got, 
I became a third order Franciscan brother. That might not mean something to you, but I wore brown. I went to Italy. I lived in a monastery for a while. I lived in a monastery in Elmira, New York. Uh, I was searching. I was uh, in, in prayer meetings all the time. And I was just asking God, what do you want? What are you calling my life for? Everybody say, you're going to make a great priest. You'll make a great priest. I said, God called me out of darkness, out of the drug culture. If he wants me to be a priest, he'll tell me. He never told me, so I never went. I did go to a seminary to see what it was like. And what I found was homosexuality and drunkenness. And I said, I don't think you called me out of the drug culture to get into this culture. So I was confused. And after a little while, I decided to go back to college. I graduated college with a straight A. But while I was back in college, I met a couple of people who were Christians. And I also met a couple of people who smoked dope. So I started to smoke some dope again. And the next thing you know, I was worse off than I was before. But God was faithful. I picked up a hitchhiker along a highway. I was on my way to college classes. I picked up this hitchhiker. You know what he said to me? He said, I have a message for you from Jesus Christ. And I just looked and I said, oh, my God, I got a religious nut here. And I said, well, what did Jesus tell you to tell me? He said, Jesus Christ said, you owe me rent. I want to tell you, I knew exactly what he meant. It pierced me. Because I knew that the moment I gave my life to him, December 7th, 1969, on a Sunday evening, from that day until that, that day right there, I owed my life to him. My life was his. The air I breathe, everything in this world is his. I owed him rent. I had not been serving him. So I blew it off. And we talked and this and that. And I invited him. I said, hey, man, you're a sharp guy. You got a good background. You look cool. You know, I, I, I got courage. Let's just do this thing right now. He said, what? I said, you, got, you play pool? He said, yeah, I play pool. I said, I play pool too. Let's go get our pool cues. Let's get in the car, drive to California. We'll play pool. We'll smoke dope. We'll get girls all the way. And then we'll come back. And then we'll do it back on the way back. We'll just have a good time. He said, no, my friend, that's not what God's called me to do. I came here to give you a message. That's the message you got. That's what you need. Several months later, about three months later, actually about two months later, December 1975, I went to a meeting because God came into my room early in the morning, woke me up with a bright light. And he said, I'm God, I'm real, and I love you very much. And I just began to cry. I said, if you love me so much, why is my life such a mess? See, there are Christians who really haven't been close to him, that they have a touch of God, and then they go back out in the world, and they end up in a mess, worse than they were before. Don't ever give up on them. Look at me. I'm an example of what God can do. He'll never give up on you. And he, and he just touched my life, and then he quoted the Bible to me. I never knew how to quote the Bible. That's not the church I went to. He quoted the Bible about the Holy Spirit guiding me. He quoted the Bible about something else. And I went into the living room after that, and I opened up the family Bible, and it was exactly where he said it was. 1 John 2.27 and John 16.13. And I was like, oh, man, God spoke to me. And so then God spoke to me and said to me, go out one night. So I went out. I walked down the street. I said, which way? He said, turn right. I turned right. I got to the corner. Which way? Turn left. I turned left. I got to the next corner. Which way? Turn right. I turned right. And I knew in my heart where I was going. I was going to go see a guy who was a Christian in college, and I was going to go to his house, and he was going to point me in the right direction. I knew it was God. 
I went there. He wasn't home. He was at church at a prayer meeting, his wife said. So I went to the prayer meeting. It was a Bible study. That church was controlled by a religious spirit. I had been there once. He, invi he invited me once. I went back. I never went back again because I didn't like it. I knew religion. I'd been a Catholic. I'd been bound by religion for years. But God set me free. After the meeting was over, we talked. He said to me, Frank, you've got to go to this coffee house on Friday night. You're going to love it. And I said, okay. And I went to this place. And as I parked in the driveway, in the, in, the, in the parking lot, I saw a guy walking up the walk to go to the front of the, of the church. It was the guy who talked to me in the car. Oh, one thing he did do before he said goodbye. He said, can I pray for you? I said, sure. He put his hand on my shoulder. I said, not only is he crazy, he's a queer. <laughs> he prayed a prayer, a short prayer, something simple. Went like this. Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to loose him and set him free. I was like, whoa, this guy is radically nuts. Well, he was walking up to the front door. And he was talking to another guy at the front door. And I saw them exchange something. So I walked over and I said, hey, man, remember me? He looked at me. He's like, well, who are you? And he said, oh, my God. I said, yeah, the road to Stony Brook. He said, oh, my. He said, you're the craziest man I ever met in my life. He told me I was crazy. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I was up in, up in New York about, about three and a half hours away. God spoke to me and said, come down here. He had a dream. He had a dream that the guy running this coffee shop, this coffee house, was going to give him the keys and he was to take over. And the guy running it, he had a dream that this guy Tommy was going to come there and he was to give him the keys to the coffee house and take over. And I walked up at that moment that the transfer is taking place. God was doing a miracle. Two men had dreams, and God sent me there on that same night. I knew God was a miracle-working God. God was involved in my life and other lives, and I didn't have to settle for religion. Didn't have to settle for religion. God knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. What kind of church is this? I, get, I bet you this is an apostolic church. I bet you this is a church that's built on the way of Jesus and the apostles. Amen? Are you an apostolic church? Would you say that with me? We are apostolic. We are, apostolic. We are still the same. same. Just read the book of Acts. Amen. Reread the book of Acts. You find out about God, about Pentecost, about the power of God, the miracles of God, how God wants to change people's lives, and we're still the same today. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me take you into the Word of God for a minute. Hallelujah. In Mark chapter 2, verse 22, Jesus says, No man puts new wine into an old wineskin, for the wineskin wine will burst and the wine will be spilt and it will all be lost. And you know, he was giving us a, a word that translates into so many different ways, so many different areas. One of the things it translates into is this. In the very beginning of the church, Jesus had said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel. They hadn't done it yet. They were still in Jerusalem. They were growing. They were building. They were doing great things in Jerusalem. God was moving. But they had not yet gone out anywhere. And so God allowed persecution to come into the church. And the people were then scattered out and sent in different places. And some of them went to Antioch in, in Syria. And they went to other places. And when they went there, they began to, uh, to talk to other Jewish people about the word of God. Can I 
my, my jacket, I have my glasses in my jacket, coat pocket. Top pocket. When they went there, they began to preach to the Jewish people there and tell them how Jesus was the Messiah. But some of them went to the Hellenists or the Greeks or the, the non-Jews in Antioch and began to share with them about Jesus. And many of them believed. And this is in Acts chapter 11. We're not going to read it. I just want to reference it for you so you can read it yourself later on. Acts chapter 11. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard what was going on in the Bronx, I mean in, 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 in Antioch, they sent Barnabas, the apostle Barnabas, they sent him, thank you. They sent Barnabas there so that Barnabas could start to put things in order. So that Barnabas could begin to impart apostolic wisdom, understanding, and anointing into those who were believers. So that Barnabas could, begun, could begin to be an overseer. Begin to structure and put things together. To advance the kingdom. To establish the kingdom. To make it go for the future. And when Barnabas was there, he was so touched and so blessed about how people were believing and what was going on. He said, this is not a job for one man. I need to get a team together here. Say team. I need a team. So he left and he went into Tarsus looking for Paul, the apostle, Saul at the time. He was not an apostle yet. He was, a, he was just a believer. But he had met God. You know the story of Paul. And he brought him back. And the two of them began a team ministry. And for a year, they taught and they preached and they prophesied and they ministered to the people in Antioch. And in Antioch, what was raised up was a team of apostles and prophets and teachers. And those apostles, prophets, and teachers got together and they prayed and fasted. And the Bible says, and when they came together, the word of the Lord came to them and said, Separate me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work I have called them to. All this happened in one year. And so they were there. Now, what happened is, in, in Jerusalem, again, they heard about what was going on, how things were happening, and how they were reaching out to the non-Jewish people. You know, people usually reach out to their own culture. They reach out to people they're comfortable with. But these people were breaking cultural barriers. Just like you. Dominicans talking to Puerto Ricans. Puerto Ricans talking to blacks. Blacks talking to Anglos. People coming together. And teams formed under an apostle. Working together. To establish the kingdom of God. The first team ministry is seen in Acts chapter 11 in Antioch. It didn't happen in Jerusalem because they were trying to put that new wine in the old wineskin. Just speak to the people in your own culture. The Jewish people have been told thousands of years before that they were going to be a special blessing to the whole earth. And that they were going to bless everyone that they came into. And yet they shut themselves off. And they wouldn't talk to non-Jews. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have any fellowship with non-Jews. They never told the good news to non-Jews. And so the church did the same thing. They set themselves off. They didn't talk to others. They just fellowshiped among themselves. And by then in Antioch, something happened. It was different. And it took non-religious leaders. It took regular people to do it. That's why God wants to use you. Because you're regular people. And he wants to use you to touch other regular people. But you have to have apostolic leadership to build it and put it together. And to make it stronger. Amen. 
So God did that then. You see, what he did was he started to put that new wine into a new wineskin of team ministry. A new wineskin of not only team ministry, but multicultural ministry. You know, the Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, it's the most segregated time in America. you got the black church, the white church, the Chinese church, the Korean church, the Puerto Rican church, the Dominican church. you got this church, that church. Everybody's separate in their own ghetto. You know what a ghetto is? It's not just a, a broken down area. A ghetto originally means a place where people of one culture are all together. And that's what happens. The church is... In, a, in ghettos. But you're not. Because you're an apostolic church. You've got the new wine in a new wineskin. Come on, give God a hand clap. You've got the new wine in a new wineskin. You're being an example to others. You're so blessed to have Apostle Victor here and his wife Gwen here ministering to you and teaching you and, 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 and showing you the way. Here's a man who came out of religion also. Here's a man who came out of a place where you had to have your collar this way and your shirt that way. And women couldn't do this and they couldn't do that. And they had all the rules and regulations. And yet God set him free. And he showed him, don't hate those people who do those things. Honor those people who did that way because that helps you to find Jesus. I never want to talk against the Catholic people that, that were there. You know why? Because that helped me to find my prayer life. It helped me to find Christ. Who am I to judge someone else? I'm here not to judge. I'm here to build. Amen. And so in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, it says this. And I'm going to read the New Living Testament. It says this, Ephesians 4.11. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. Say gifts. Say church. Say Christ. I say this for a reason. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to become the big shots, to get their TV programs and their magazines, to travel around the world, to make a lot of money, to tell everybody how blessed they are, but really they're the ones being blessed. That's not what it says, but that's what's happening, sadly, in so many places. Because too many leaders are not servant leaders. They're breaking the first rule that Jesus gave them. Jesus said, when I, when I put you in a position of leadership, you shall not lord it over people like the Gentiles do. You know, in Revelation, it says that Jesus said to one of the churches, he says, you got one thing on your side. He said, you got this problem, that problem, the other problem. He said, but you got something on your side. You hate the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans is a word that's a compound word. It's made up of two words, Nico or Nike, which means overcomer or ruler. And Latians, or laity, which means the people. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is the doctrine that there are rulers over the people. Which Jesus said, that's not how you shall do it. He said, I hate that. Jesus wants servants who come under and lift people up. Servants who help people identify who they are so they can fulfill their goals. Too many ministers want you to give them the money, come to the church, do all these things so you can help them. Fulfill their vision. I have a vision God gave me and God wants you to help me fulfill my vision. The whole thing is off. The emphasis is wrong. See, if God gave him a vision, it's God's vision. And it's not God's vision for him or her. It's God's vision for the people and for the kingdom. And if you're called there, you're called there not to help him become popular. But you're called there to touch the nation. 
We need the right emphasis. And we need the right leadership. I tell people in, in my church, if you, if you ever hear me preaching differently, run. Go away. Leave me. Because you need to have the truth. Because the truth sets you free. Religion and manipulation don't set you free. So God says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Paul says in one place, he says, Oh, my little children, I am in labor again until Christ be formed in you. It's not enough to be born again and have Christ placed in you. Christ has to grow in you. He has to be formed in you. If we could have a spiritual x-ray machine that could tell people how, how, how far along they are in Christ in their spiritual walk, they could, they could walk in. How long are you saved? I've been saved for five years. And they walk past the machine and they get a spiritual x-ray and it says, Christ is three years old in that person. So, well, you're two years behind. But, you know, keep on moving because hopefully God, the next person comes by. How, how long have you been saved? I've been saved for 25 years. They walk by and they take a spiritual x-ray and it says, this person is still a baby in Christ. At the time they should be teaching others, they need to be taught all over again. The very foundational principles of the Word of God. Then another one comes by and says, how long have you been saved? Say, I've been saved six years. They walk by in spiritual x-ray. This person is living as a 10-year-old. Why? Christ has been formed in them and they've been submitting. And they're going further and further and further and faster because God is working in them because they submit to God. And they submit to the leadership. And they serve like the leaders are serving them. And they're growing in Christ. Isn't that what you want? What do you want the pastor to say, I'm in labor all over again. I, I was in labor to birth you in the kingdom. Now I'm in labor to help get you to grow up in the kingdom. We want to grow in God. We need to grow in Christ. Amen. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. The vision of Living Water Church, my home church in New Jersey, is that we, we have every member become a true disciple of Jesus. And we say true because there's a lot of disciples who are not true disciples. They're disciples in name, but not in deed. And Jesus wants us to follow him not just in deed, but in word also. We want every member to be a disciple of Jesus, a true disciple of Jesus, and demonstrate the kingdom of God in our daily lives. It's easy to demonstrate the kingdom of God when we're together in church because with the root system, we encourage each other, we bless each other. But it's out there when you're on the job. It's out there when you're at home and there's no money. It's out there when you had a problem with your child. And, and that's where it's harder to be a Christian and to serve him. But God wants us to be mature and disciples out there in our daily life. Because that's when we make a difference in other lives. That's when they look at us and they say, this is a disciple. This is a Christian. We're led in our church by an apostolic team. I've taken the last five, six, seven years, eight years to build a team of leaders. And now what's happened in our church is one of my dreams is that this church moves from being a first generation church to becoming a second generation church. 
First generation meaning I am the generator. I am the oldest. I brought it to being. My wife and I came to New Jersey, to, to New Jersey as, a, as a team, and we started to build, and we led, and we did everything, and we did everything, everything, everything. But then we were able to raise up sons and daughters, and now they're doing everything with us. So we went from being first generational to second generational. How many of you know that God is the God of Abraham and Isaac together? Amen? And now my dream is that we become a third-generation church, that he becomes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Hallelujah. We want to reach los niños. We want to reach the young ones, the little ones. We want to reach them, not so they imitate what we do in church, but that something happens in their life to give them a foundation that they get excitement, they get drawn, they get built, they get encouraged. They, become, they want to be something. The problem with so many kids today is they don't want anything. Because everything is given to them. That's not how we want to do it. We want to see the kingdom of God impact our culture. Apostle said before, we need to pray for our, 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 our government. Because it sure needs help. Because our government has been impacted by the culture. You see, when America was founded, the founders of the American government were not impacted by the government. They were impacted by the Bible. They were impacted by the Word of God. They were impacted, and so they put biblical things into the Constitution and the different doctrines of the government, and they ran it a certain way. George Washington was a servant leader, and he only led for two terms. He stepped down because he said, I don't want to become a king. I don't want them to look at me. I came to serve. They served at their own expense. When they went to Congress, they went at their own expense. They didn't have all the packages and all the perks and all the parachutes that they have nowadays. Now you go into politics to make money. Back then they went into politics to change a nation and to advance the kingdom of God. Every one of our founders have said something somewhere. You'll find some statement that talks about God, the kingdom of God, and America and puts them together. And even as recently as Ronald Reagan, he said, if we ever become a, a nation without God, then we'll be a nation gone under. One nation under God. If we're not under God, we're going under. We need God in our national politics. How do we get that? We get that by having people who have a heart for God and they know how to impact the culture of the kingdom. They use media. They use knowledge. They use the press, they use the word, they use WordPress, they use blogging, they use Facebook, they use their websites, they use communication skills, they do, they, 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 they'll do live streaming, they'll do Periscope, they're talking and sharing about Jesus. Do you know that every one of you can have a ministry on Periscope? Every one of you. You don't need to be anointed, ordained, all you have to be is submitted to the man of God and his wife here, and the elders and the leaders, and say, look, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to start to do something on Periscope. I'm going to go on once a week, same time, every week, and I'm going to just talk for five minutes about Jesus. And I guarantee you, you're going to start getting some followers in there. There are going to be some people who recognize you, because you'll go on there. There's this one girl out in Long Island. She goes on, and I've watched her. She goes on with her curlers on. She goes on with no makeup on. She says, come on, girls, I'm here. Are you there? It's, oh, I see you, I see you. And, uh, and I'm like... My God, she's not even dressed right. How could she be? she got a t-shirt on that's raggy and this and that. And I'm like, what's going on? It's a different generation. They're not looking at what she's wearing. They want to hear what she's saying. What's limiting you? Your imagination. We need to use media. We've got to touch people. 
We have to use whatever we have in front of us. We have to touch other people. Here's one thing I want to talk to you about for a second. You know that the Bible says this. It says, train up your child in the way they should go and what? And when they are old, they will not depart from it. How many of you are praying for backslidden loved ones that were raised up as a Christian? And you're just holding on saying, God, it didn't say that they'll serve you all the time, but it did say when they're old, they won't depart. So I'm, I'm hoping they get old quick so they can come back to you. And you can get old at 20. You can get old at 25. You can get old real quick and get mature. And all of a sudden say, I need Jesus in my life again and come back. And you know, that's a promise. And I'm holding on to that promise also. And I have friends and loved ones that are holding on to that promise that as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And I've trained them up in the way they should go and they're going to follow God. But there's something deeper in this that we need to see. And I trust and pray that you'll get this seed. Above all the things I've said, you'll get this seed today. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. Or it says, unto each one of us is given a measure of the grace of Christ. Remember I had you say Christ and gifts? Because this grace that's being talked about is the fivefold ministry giftings. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Every one of us, every one of us has a measure of that gift. One of those gifts and possibly a mix of a couple. So in other words, among us, we have a third generation. We have children. And we need to train them up in the way they should go. And we say we're going to train them in the word of God because that's the way they should go. But there's more to it. We should train them up in the way that they should go in a ministry gifting that they have in their life. So that we have doctors, teachers, lawyers, singers, musicians, publicists, or sanitation workers, people who are working in, in different areas in life, all doing things, but doing it as a minister of God. A person with a mission. How many of you have a job? Would you raise your hand if you have a job? Thank God you have a job, right? I want to give you a prophetic word. Quit your job. Just quit. Man, the bishop said, go quit my job. So I quit. Take it out of, don't take it out of context. I want you to get rid of your job. Because you, know, you know what a job is, right? It's a J-O-B. It's just over broke. Hello? Just over broke. J-O-B. That's what your job is. Get a ministry. Get a ministry. God has not put you in that school as a teacher or an assistant. He didn't put you in that hospital as a nurse. He didn't put you in that position where you are so you can get a job and a paycheck. He put you in there as an uh, undercover worker for the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom. You're a spy. You're a mission person. You are on a mission of God. We got to get more people like the Blues Brothers on a mission for God. I'm on a mission for God. And every single one of us has to understand we're on a mission for God. So what we have to do with our children is train them in the way they should go. We have to look at little Susie, who's kind of quiet. And, you know, she doesn't say much. And people say, you know, well, Susie's just shy. And maybe she'll grow out of it. She's not shy. She's a prophetess in the making. Because she's an observer. She's watching everything. And one day you'll see Susie go up to Johnny and say, stop stealing. Now I know where she's going. She's not going to be a prophetess in the pulpit of the church. See, God wants her out there in the world. 
He's not calling us all to be here. This is not the big calling. The big calling's out there. He's calling, he's calling her to be a district attorney. She's got the prophetic insight. She sees a case come by and she says, I got that one figured out. How did you figure that out? I got a prophetic gifting inside of me, and my church trained me up in the way I should go. They recognize that I have the prophetic working in my life because I'm an observer, and I'm seeking for justice. And that's why I entered the field I'm in. And then we got Bobby over here. And Bobby is seven years old. He doesn't like violence, so he doesn't go for football games. He doesn't really like all the sports like ice hockey, things like that. He doesn't like violence. Bobby likes cooking. He likes art. He likes fashion. He's like me. And so Bobby is labeled by the kids in school as a queer. He's a pansy. He's, he's, he's not a man. He's, not, he, he's just a freak. No, he's not. He's a boy with a pastoral anointing. Because pastors care about people. Pastors are gentle. Pastors want to see people loved. And they, want to, and they want the beauty of all of God's creation working in their lives. So they love how you look and how you dress and the colors in the church. And they have all this stuff inside them. And instead of them being labeled as a, as, as a homosexual... We need to label them as a boy with a pastoral calling. Not that he's called to be behind the pulpit. What about being out there in the world of medicine? What about being a doctor or a social worker? Somebody who cares about people. You see, we just need to train them in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't leave it because that's their mission. It's their mission. And then we've got, we've got Lucy. And Lucy's always telling everybody what to do. She's only five years old. But man, in Sunday school, she's like, you do this and you do that. And you do this. And the teacher says, Lucy, she says, don't worry, teacher. I'll tell you what to do soon. <laughs> Lucy has a gift of the teacher inside of her. She's always telling people, this is the way. That's the way. This is how you do it. Let me help you. Don't tell her she's bossy. Tell her she has the teaching anointing train her up in the way she should go and when she's old she'll be successful you see we don't want to train everybody up to be behind the pulpit we want to train them up in the way they should go if everybody's behind the pulpit there's nobody in the pews hey ladies how many of you want to have five women in the kitchen with you when you're cooking uh-uh you want them in the other room you know too many cooks spoil the broth too many preachers, they mess up the church. When everybody's a chief, you got no Indians, you can't go anywhere. We're, we're in the church of pat me on the back. Oh, praise God, brother. Praise God. I see the anointing working in you. I see how good you are. And I see it in you too, brother. Praise God. I see you're really growing in Christ. And you're anointed. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. And, and it's the bless me, bless you club. And nobody's on a mission. Nobody's serving. Nobody's growing. Nobody's reaching the lost. Nobody's doing things for God because they're all getting blessed. I went to church on Sunday. Man, I got blessed. What happened? What did he preach about? I don't know, but I got blessed. Yeah, I got blessed. When they passed the offering basket, I took some money out. Hallelujah. They said, if you have any needs, just let us know. I just figured I'd just take it and they could find out later. Train them up in the way they should go. Ephesians 4, 7. Get your notebooks. Get your calendars. Write it down. You're going to study this out. 
Those of you in Sunday school ministry, pray for those people right now with the kids because they need to see this in there. They need to teach them about Moses. They need to teach them about David. They need to teach them about Daniel and Lions Den. But they got to teach them how Daniel and his brothers and his friends were raised up as children in the way they should go. Not just being taught Bible lessons, but being understood and looked at as little prophets, little teachers, little pastors, little anointing, little apostles, whatever they may be. And when you see children that way, they will not become imitators. How many of you see the little kid in church? You know, he's three years old and he's up there and they got the microphone and he's, he can't speak English yet. He can't speak Spanish yet. He just knows how to do it. And they're imitating the preacher. That's not what we need. We need them to understand that God has given them a gift, a measure of the gift of Christ, a measure of an apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, or teaching ministry. And if we see that in them, and we spot, I'm telling you, I wish that somebody preached this to me when I was a young Christian, because I'd have raised my kids differently. I trained them up in the way they should go as Christians in the church. And you know what? None of them are in the church, really. You know why? Because somehow they got stolen, they got robbed, they got cheated. I'm praying I'm holding on to the word of God. God's got his word on them. He's going to bring them back in. But if I'd have known some other things I'm preaching to you right now, we could have saved 10, 15, 20 years of pain. Because they'd have been trained in the way they should go, not just been told Bible stories. And get a star because they remembered that Moses was, you know, 40 years old when he went into the desert. They need to know that they're called of God to have a mission in this world as a doctor, as a teacher, as a lawyer, as a social worker, as a garbage collector, as a, as a custodian, as, a, as an attendant, as a, as a person who owns a grocery store, as a person who works at 7-Eleven, as a person who stocks the shelves, as a person who helps, helps people as a shopper, whatever it may be. But they have a mission. And they have a specific gift to accomplish that mission in life. A measure of the grace of the gift of Christ. Can you say amen? amen? Amen. How many of you want to have that in your life right now? How many of you want to be able to start over again and start to recognize, I, I'm on a mission now. I don't have a job. I'm on a mission. I, and I need to find out what my gifting is. Pastor, can you help us? You know, Pastor, can you help us to understand who we are? What are the earmarks of pastoral ministry in this world? What are the earmarks of a teaching ministry in the world? What's the, what's the earmark of an apostolic ministry in the world? You know, we need to know what it is out there, not just in here. We can do that. You know, there are some wonderful things that you can use. You know, Peter Wagner, before he died many years ago, he came up with a spiritual gifting course. And you take the spiritual gifting test and, the, and you answer these questions and it starts to tell you where your giftings are. And you start to identify, oh, you have a pastoral gifting. Or you, have a, you have a gifting over here. Or, or you have the gift of mercy. You have the gifting of this. And you start to recognize, wow, I gotta, I, I, this is who I am. You know how happy you are when you find out who you are? You know, I'm 66 years old, you know, and do you like me? You don't know me. I don't care if you like me. I care if my wife likes me. I care if my kids like me. I care if God likes me. But you know what? I'm not really concerned about what other people think. I used to be 30 years ago. If I was preaching, I'd be praying all before I came and say, Lord God, I hope they like me. I hope they invite me back. Now I don't pray that. Now I pray, Lord God, I hope I can impart something. I hope if I die tomorrow, they got something out of me today. My focus is different because I'm on a mission.